You're listening to Playing God, a podcast about storytelling, role-playing, and having fun. Let's get started. This is Season 1, Episode 3, Let There Be Story. This episode is going to be all about uh, world-building and putting the story together sort of at the computer or in front of a piece of paper, however you want to do it. Sort of the background uh, legwork of putting the story together before you get to the table. That's right. So if you're Tolkien, this is the point at which you're constructing Kenya and all of your other languages, and you're going through Norse myth and you know taking out the bits you like the best, yeah. and eventually turning it into a 20-year project uh, before you start writing any of the books. Right, and if you're a regular human being, you're more likely to be like, oh God, how the hell do I write the first sentence? <laughs> Um, and we'll help you with that part. If you're Tolkien, you've probably got this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so far, okay, so now you've decided maybe on a system you like, though we will get more in-depth in other systems and so on later. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've gotten a couple of friends together or complete strangers, as the case may be. Sure, why not? play with you. But now you have to actually have a story to guide them through. That's the whole idea. And no, it is collaborative fiction. Uh, and we all participate around the table. The the GM, the DM, the storyteller, whatever you call yourself, is the one who has to be the prime mover. That's right. So when we say that, there's two parts to it. Of course, we're going to be talking all about the collaborative part of it, or at least about some aspects of that in the next episode. But today we're talking about all of the background work you have to do before your players have anything to interact with. If you're going to put them in some sort of fantasy fiction where they're as we said in the first episode, murder hobos going from place to place, then they need to actually have places to go to. You've got to figure out a map, you've got to figure out locations on the map, and you've got to figure out what those locations look like, what's in them, what is it that's going to be interesting to my players there. Absolutely. And before you do any of that, uh, it is essential to answer the five questions. Ta-da! Oh, the five questions. You're right. We almost forgot. What are the five questions, Nathaniel? Nathaniel and Christopher Kiefer present the five questions every DM or storyteller should answer before they write a story. Question one. What is my setting? Question two. Who are the characters or the players? Question three. Why are the characters together? Question four. How does my story begin? Question five. How does my story end? Hmm. These are all really good questions, aren't they? Yes. I mean, we would think so since we came up with them. Yes. (laughs) But I think they're absolutely essential for anyone who's starting because that's a reference point. Uh, getting establishing the setting some of that can be answered for you if you pick a, a system that has a pre-constructed setting like fantasy or cyberpunk or mm-hmm. horror mm-hmm. right that can be your say okay the setting is it's in chicago in the 1940s you know and whatever like mobsters are running rampant and crime is high and everyone is wearing pinstripe suits and <laughs> um and then of course uh the second question who are the characters is also really important because it starts it, it sets um what you expect the characters to be able to do and it also sets sort of like it establishes their career their job do they have a like do they work as something mm. are they like homeless people. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more about this. You have to keep in mind that because this is collaborative fiction, Mm -hmm. this might be a point where you do one of two things. Either you come up with a very general idea of where your characters are coming from, Mm -hmm. because you're not allowed to formulate for your players what their characters are, who they are. Yes. I mean, you can do that, of course, but you limit their agency. And this is something we'll definitely be talking about a lot more, not only in this podcast, Uh, but in many episodes to come when we're talking about player agency and it's an important part of the collaborative element of the storytelling. So you can't tell them who their characters are, but you can tell them a little bit about, so you used to be, or you've been working as such and such for the last X years, and that just gives them a starting off point. The other thing you might want to do at this point is start talking with your players about, so who are your characters? Like, who is your character? Where did he come from? What are his likes and dislikes? What kind of family does he have? What are his values? And oftentimes your players will go, "Uh." But it's important to get the gears rolling because the more the person knows about their character up front, 
the less they'll make up later that'll not make sense. And you want to give them creative parameters too. You want to build a fence around their creativity. Yes. So that they don't just like, well, I was born on the planet Yoros 3 and I was actually a super demigod who commanded the very sun and then I crash landed on Earth and now I, all of all of creation is my slave. And <laughs> We're playing gangsters in the 1900s. Yeah, we already established we're, we're mobsters. So. Yes, okay, but I was born on the planet Yaros. <laughs> right, so <laughs> that's why that's why question one is answered before question two. But also, you set parameters, you can say like, okay, so here's what the world kind of looks like. Where does your guy fit in? Yes. You don't fill in the details for them, but you give them sort of like, this is the border. Yeah, Draw the, within this is the, the lines. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also important that they do start trying to fill that box in because not... Uh, just like Nathaniel said, does it avoid them making shit up as they go along, mm. which can throw a wrench in things, especially if they forget the shit they made up previously. Yeah. But it also means that there's opportunity for you as the storyteller to work that into the story. Mm -hmm. right? If they communicate to you that, oh yeah, you know, he has an, an old rival who he used to fight with over the trade routes through this particular area all the time, then at some point that rival can show up. And it'll be an interesting story element for that character, and it'll drive the plots in interesting new directions. Whereas if they tell you, oh, yeah, well, I guess he was like an adventurer dude, and like he used to go through the dungeons and take all the treasures, and that's pretty much all there is to him, there's not a whole lot for you to work with there. Right. So oftentimes, if you are going to talk with your players and give them a box to fill in, you want to give them also the opportunity to... Uh, Use more than one pencil crayon when it comes to filling that in. Try and give them some direction on how to be creative. Especially if they're new at it. Really push for them to try to fill in details because new RPG players are going to be reluctant to get too into it, possibly. Yes. And they're not going to necessarily know when, how far to go or how far not to go. One tool that will be very helpful for you in this endeavor is to come up with a template for yourself or what the questions you want the player to ask himself. Yes, yes. In terms of, so who is my character? What's his history? What's the kind of things he's done? Right? So you can say, so our setting is the 1900s. We're all gangsters. How did you get into crime? Yes. Right? And he can come up with an answer to that. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you're about to pull off a heist. What's the last thing you do before you leave the hideout? Yeah. Right? Start asking them interesting questions that get at... Uh, either the heart of their character or even just interesting quirks about their character. Right? If the last thing that the character does is tuck a playing card into the sash in their hat before they leave, right? that reveals interesting things about them. They're a gambler, maybe. They have uh, some sort of fashion sense right? because they're wearing a fedora that has a little bandana on it that they can tuck something into in the first place. Right? All of these small little things add up to make them a person as opposed to just a bunch of stats. Yes. Question number three thus kind of leads into that and oftentimes if you answer question number two well enough, question number three is almost done and, that, and, that, and again that's why the characters are together. Mm -hmm. It's really important to have the characters together because that like you you four or five people sitting around a table playing, you don't want to have to be like okay well you're in Venezuela and you're in Australia like let me switch back and forth between you for the next seventeen years. Now that's not to say that you're not able to have multiple story streams going on inside no, your session. No, of course not. As an experienced DM, especially an mm -hmm. experienced storyteller, you can use this to great effect. You can have two parallel storylines, even three sometimes, running at the same time inside the same session. And when you bring them together, that can lead to like an enormous event inside of your story. Uh, you can have all kinds of things crashing together, all kinds of threads tying up neatly all at the same time. And it can be really impressive, powerful, memorable for your players. But I do not think that should be session one. Absolutely not. No. And you probably shouldn't plan on doing that at all until you've got a lot of sessions under your belt handling what it looks like to have a single story stream going. Not only for your own sake, but also because the players will have a hard time not wandering off into La La Land while the other group or other person is off wherever. That's right. 
and also following the plot at all. Right? Yes. Even if their focus is perfect, they're going to get a little lost when it's not their turn to roll the dice. It's like, do I roll now? Like, is mm. it my turn? No, no, not you. We're doing this other story bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're still in Australia. Oh, right. Uh, right, so people will lose that. So uh, getting them together is sort of the in-universe reason why you guys are seeing around the table. The meta is five guys put three hours aside on a weeknight to play a game. <laughs> but you have to figure out in-universe why they're together. So going off on our random thing we came up with, there were the gangsters in the 1900s. Most obvious thing is we all work for the same mob boss, so we're all part of like the same gang. Sure. Yep, that could be one way of getting them together. If we're supposed to be law enforcement, we, that could be even easier. We could all be cops in the same unit. That's right. You're all in the same precinct. You know, yeah. you've all seen each other around the office. Maybe you know each other by sight, but you've never talked. Yeah. This is another aspect of the, so why you're all together that you need to factor in, which is that, but they need to start off from square one as well. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't start them off with, oh yeah, you know, you've been on dozens of heists together and you've pulled off, like you robbed the central bank, you guys are a big deal, you know each other really well. No, they don't. Yeah. You've got to keep in mind that your players and the characters need to grow organically together. Yes. So if the players don't know each other really well, you should not start off the characters knowing mm. each other really well. Vice versa, if you're working with a group, a veteran group that's been together for years and years, and they actually, as people, know each other really well, then you can start their characters off in a similar place. And that can be strong because then, like, it makes sense why their characters are making jokes with each other or whatever, because they actually know each other really well. Right. That could be powerful, but you don't want to start there. No. And you also don't want to start the group too powerful either, unless that's your intention. Like, you want to try to start them kind of like bottom of the ladder so they have somewhere to go. I differ on my opinion on this, depending on the context, the situation. I don't have a, a strong, steady line here. I mean, if you're playing Exalted or something, then yeah, you have to be a demigod, <laughs> but I think... Generally speaking, now Nathaniel and I differ a bit on this, so yeah. we'll get into that. I mean, you've basically heard Nathaniel's opinion on this. Yeah. He likes to start people around level 1 to level 5, somewhere in there. If this system has levels. Yeah, if it works that discreetly, you know, mm -hmm. or start them just somewhere near the bottom of the power scale. Mm -hmm. For myself, it really depends on what kind of story I'm trying to tell. If I want to tell the story where they're action-adventure swashbucklers who just get the job done and have a great time doing it and always get the girl at the end, then I might actually start them off at like level 10 or the equivalent, depending on the system, and say, hey guys, we're going all the way to epic. Let's, let's rock and roll. I guess it depends. And, and it's just that most people, you give them too much power off the top, I find they go a little crazy. It's also that you have to consider how much options they get off mm -hmm. the top. Yes. Especially if they're new to RPGs, uh, the new to tabletop role playing. They'll be looking at, if they pick in a spellcaster class, for instance, they'll be looking at sheets and sheets of spells, all with their own descriptions, and they'll be trying to interpret them. It's like, so is now a good time to use and fill in the blank? Because yeah. it says here that, um, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, something like this, uh, uh, yeah? And you have to <sighs> explain, no, that's not at all what it's trying to get at. So your interpretation of that is completely off. Why did I even start you off at level 10 when you've never played before? Yes, and that go and that's another thing, like you said earlier, about veteran players versus new players. If, if they've played the system, if they've played together before, mm -hmm. then there's nothing wrong with them starting off high tier. Mm -hmm. If you're in D&D, &D, you want to start off at level 15, everyone's played before, fine, they'll start off at level 15. You've got new players, though, especially, like you said, you've got someone who's playing a wizard or a sorcerer, you start them at level mm -hmm. 15. Now they have a plethora of things that they're yes. supposed to be able to do immediately, yes. and they can't, because yes. they don't remember. It's like you play a video game, mm -hmm. Uh, like an RP, an action RPG or something like or a strategy game mm -hmm. and the game's building building this difficulty yes. you get to the final boss and then for some reason you stop playing you get sick or something sure I've, I've had that happen I've gotten really far into a game stopped playing come back like three months later and I can't remember how to play mm -hmm. and the game just destroys me because mm -hmm. it, it's been building this up for the last 40 hours but I can't remember it yes yes so the procedural start, memory is gone so now I'm going to start over yes so the same deal, like if you've been through the motions before, then you can be like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be over here, I stand behind the I stand behind the fighter guy, and I fling mm -hmm. this, followed mm -hmm. by this. Mm -hmm. So Yes, and that happens for you in RPGs too, because as the DM, you'll be trying to create a challenge for the appropriate level, but the system, of course, expects that so someone at that level actually knows how to use their abilities mm -hmm. appropriately, right, to the 
best effect.、Mm. And if they're starting there and they have no idea because they've never done it before, then you're probably just going to kill every single member of your party without breaking a sweat. Yes. So. Don't do that. Yeah. So I, my opinion on this one, Chris, is that question three is like. Well, I mean, this establishing the setting, of course, is important. But I think question three is like the most important in terms of establishing the dynamic and the arc of the story, at least for the first act. Yes. Because where you start、yes. is going to strongly influence where you end up. That's right. And them starting off as complete strangers is going to have a very different act one. Uh, versus if they're supposed to be best friends. That's right, and if they're starting off in you know ye generic fantasy tavern, yes, that has a very different impact on the story than if they all start off as police officers in the same、mm. precinct, yes, or gangsters working for the same mob boss, yes, right. The adventurers in the tavern have pretty much no strong connection to each other.、Mm-hmm. They're only getting together to accomplish some certain task. Yes, police officers in the same precinct. All report to the same boss. Yes, and they have a tie of loyalty to the institution. That's right. And similar for the gangsters, in fact.、Mm. Right, and that's going to change the shape of who gives them yes orders. Yes,、uh, why they follow them and how they interact with their fellows. Yes. So, and and it also establishes、uh, where the plot hooks are coming from.、Mm-hmm. And that's part of why this is. Uh, one of our five questions. I think this one gets very little attention from a lot of,、uh, especially novice storytellers, because they just want to, you know, get started with whatever cool idea they've got. And it's like, so you guys are all adventurers, okay? You all kn- kind of know each other, and now let's get started. Right. But if you don't spend the time up front doing that, then it, this loosey goosey kind of relationship stays that way. <laughs> Or at best. You've kneecapped yourself、mm-hmm. by not giving yourself the powerful tool、mm-hmm. of further fleshing out your setting by establishing. So, where did you start from? Yes. Right. If you don't know where you started from, it's awfully difficult to figure out where you're going to land. Yes. So, I, I feel like this could be its own thing because you know that leads into like, okay, do you want? Are they the masters of their own destiny? Do they report to someone like that? that that's a whole topic unto itself, right, right there. Well, that, that's kind of worms、But、that for、yeah. another episode. Put that on the back burner. Question four. Now we're getting into sort of like the the story story part,、mm-hmm. which is how does the story begin, and that's like where are they? What's the first dilemma they have to face? What's the very first hook?、Mm-hmm. Um, You know,、uh, and that's can be as that can be as complex or as simple. I find it pays to do something simple off the top. If they're, for example, if they're okay, continuing our gangster thing.、Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, the, so it begins with they're all in their their club on the Saturday night、uh, playing poker when suddenly Batman s- breaks through the ceiling. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Batman appears. Damn! <laughs> They're all gangsters. Batman has shown up. He's、right. going to break up the joint. Yeah. Now what? Now what?、Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good, interesting. Writing, writing this down. <laughs> Batman. If Batman is being statted、uh, as he would be like in the movies, then you're doomed. This is like a level twenty gajillion like ninja. But maybe that's、uh, exactly the point. Is Batman has shown up in your criminal joint? It's time to get the hell out. Yeah. Right, and that could be an interesting place to start your story. And that you used to all be criminals in the same gang,、mm-hmm. but wow, that gang no longer exists because Batman just broke it up. Now what do you do? Interesting. But yeah, that that that's a pretty that's a pretty、uh, elaborate start there. But that's a cool <laughs> example. Um. And that—that's actually an example of、uh, ninjas kicked down the door. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a future podcast L- too. Literal ninjas, since it's Batman. It's、Ooh. Batman.、Um, going back to sort of—I hate this because it's、like, such a cliche—but having the the adventurers in the tavern thing,、mm. a very common starting hook is they're meeting a client、sure. at the bar. Sure. Right, and they give them some sort of job to do. Ah,、oh, mm. my boyfriend got kidnapped by orcs. Go rescue him. Here's the map. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're awfully well prepared. Wait a minute, you had time to draw a map, but you couldn't rescue your boyfriend yourself or contact the authorities. 
look, it's medieval fantasy adventure world. There are no authorities. <laughs> There's just random dudes in taverns that you pay gold to. That's nonsense. Aren't we in a walled city with a patrol and watch? Look, did you want the gold or not? Fine. <laughs> See, I would be a t- I'm a terrible player because they would just start tearing down the poor novice GM and he's like, oh, guys, this dude, I hook thing. <laughs> yeah, there is something to be said about the problems you'll have as a novice storyteller if you do have a veteran in the group. Yeah. Right? And you're not him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we'll get into that again at a future time. Well, maybe in the next episode when we talk about collaboration. Yeah, actually, it makes sense. So, sometimes having a more veteran player be a player, it can be harder than having all novices. On the other hand, sometimes it can make things a lot easier because they can play off of your hooks and your cues if they're willing to play along with you. So knowing where you're going to start is really important. Um, and every movie, every um, action game ever starts you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we'll pause before we move on to question five to talk about starting in media res or in the middle of things. Uh, is, is, it, is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea? In media res simply means that you're in the middle of events that are occurring in your, in your story in some way. So a Batman cold open is often an example of an in media res beginning. Right, Some event is in the middle of happening. Right, A heist is going down. Uh, and the criminals are creeping in through the bank, and they're just about to blow open the safe, and Batman bursts through the ceiling and, you know, starts kicking their asses. And you're just going, left going at the first, you know, what's going on? What led up to this? What were the yes. events that led to this happening in the first place? And what overall impact does it have on the story? And that's exactly the questions that it's meant to provoke. Mm-hmm. The reason you start in media res is to get uh, action, to hook your players, right, your readers, if you were writing a novel, but your players in this case, right, to hook them from the very start with this burst of action and activity, and then also to provoke those questions like, so what happened here? How did Batman find out about it? What were we even trying to accomplish? Why were we breaking open this safe in the first place? How did we get here and why are we here and now what? Yes. Right, all of those questions are exactly what it's supposed to bring about. So much Batman in this episode. I swear DC's not paying us. Unless they are paying us, in which case, Batman, Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman. The Flash. Joker, Harley Quinn, Two-Face, Poison Ivy. And Ra's al Ghul. All right, uh, we're done. Watch all of the exciting movies from the DC universe. If this is if this is sponsored by Marvel, on the other hand, DC's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the new Spider-Man. Uh, so we have where we're starting. And so going back to talking about media res, I just find that if you're... Doing this for the first time, maybe don't do it because then you have to deliver and you can end up sort of writing yourself into a corner. So now you've decided where you want to start. Oh, actually, I'm going oh, to okay. butt in there. On the other hand... <laughs> ah, your butt. On the other hand, if you come up with a really good in media res hook and then you spend the time on thinking, so how am I going to deliver on each of these things that this hook seems to suggest. Why does Batman exist in this continuity and what is his place here? (laughs) Why were they robbing this bank? What super secret was inside of this vault? And are my characters actually heroes who are trying to pull off, you know, discovering the secret documents inside of the vault and Batman is just misguided? Or are they actually villains and this is going to be that kind of campaign? Hmm, that's true. It can, it can, uh... Um, shape your creativity, give you some uh, boundaries to work within. That's right, because even as a, even as God, right, the storyteller who decides all things inside of your own world, it helps to put walls and boundaries down. If you keep everything formless, then there isn't really any world, is there? Mm. You have to give it shape, and one of those shapes is going to be saying so. What is going on, and why have I decided to start my characters here? And what am I going to do about it? And starting with an in-media res hook can actually be powerful in guiding your own thoughts towards, so what are the answers to these questions? Yes. It depends on how you get out of it, too, because starting in-media res is not hard, but delivering from that. So do you do the in-media res intro and then, like, rewind time and then start from there and have the players know that they're going to end up there? Or do you have the event happen and then as the event is resolving 
then you start establishing how they got there afterwards. Mm -hmm. I prefer the latter myself mm -hmm. because otherwise the players are sitting there waiting for that moment forever, and who knows how long it is from now. That's right. It works awfully well in a visual medium yes. where there's nobody who's... Uh, deciding any actions based on future knowledge. It does not work very well when your players are like, all right, so I know we're going to end up in a bank vault and Batman's going to break in. When is that going to happen? Yeah. Oh, my God, it's a bank. Every time a bank shows up, I'm like, oh, my God, it's a bank. Batman's there. Oh, no, Batman's not there. Okay, never mind. Right? You don't want that. Yeah. So if you are going to start in media res, uh, make sure that uh, you just keep going. Yes. Please. <laughs> Rewinding time is only going to work under very limited circumstances. If it's within that session, like if you, you started off where the session's going to end and you go back a little ways, I, I guess, but... Uh, it, it can work in specific circumstances, but we can't give it to you as blanket advice. No. Don't do it generally speaking. Yeah, just don't. Just avoid it. Just If you're going to start a meteorite, just keep going. and then Keep it going. Keep it going. Speaking and, of and your players it, can pick it up as they go along because of your marvelous storytelling skills. Of course. <laughs> Uh, speaking of keeping it going, the last question, and in, and in my opinion, even more important than where it begins, is where does the story end? Mm -hmm. Now, this answer, the answer you give can change by the end of the campaign, and in fact, sometimes, and often it does, I yes. think. Yes. Um, and it doesn't need to be super detailed, but you should have an ending in mind. Otherwise, you end up with what TV Tropes calls the Chris Carter effect. Yes, where you just kept making shit up as you went along and had yes. no idea why. Yes. You had no idea where it was going. Yes. You just figured, oh, eventually I'll tie it all up. Yes. Or maybe the series will go on forever. That would be great. Great. <laughs> I just keep making the money. The series will not go continue to go on forever, so you should think of an ending. Even if, by some miracle, your players want to play with you forever, right, they're under the impression that uh, there's nothing wrong with just keeping a story going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny, <laughs> you, as the storyteller, are eventually going to burn out on it. Yes. Right? You're going to have other cool ideas that you want to explore. That's right. You're not just going to want to stick to one universe, one world, yes. one campaign. Yes. So you need to have set for yourself, all right, I am going to bring the story to an end, and here is the place where it ends. Like Nathaniel said, that end can change as you go along. You can mm -hmm. come up with a better idea <laughs> and say... Hmm, if I look back at the story I've told so far, does this still fit? It does. Perfect. Yeah. And that's great. Go for it. Yeah. But you have to have something when you're starting out. Yeah. And there's, I think, in my opinion, there's two sort of layers to answering the question. The first layer, obviously, is the narrative aspect of it. Where are the characters ending? Do they succeed in whatever it is you think the main quest of the story is? Are they the villain? Do they... Does Batman kick their ass and, like break all their bones <laughs> at the end uh do they convince batman that actually no there's a greater evil and they need to team up does batman turn out to be a vampire and so you have to like destroy him and all that kind of stuff and now batman is a vampire oh my goodness okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, Wasn't there a comic that did yes, that? Yes, yes. All right, yes. so what are you upset about? So I, I don't Just know. following in about. the footsteps of the great uh, whoever was wrote that strange yep. one. Yep. Um... All of those things are important to to a answer. Uh, do you win or lose, I guess, is the answer here. And then the other one, the other layer to that... And of course it might be more complex than simple win or lose. Yes, of course. Uh, achieve their goal. Do they achieve their goal and how? And you were saying another layer to that. Another layer to that is the sort of um, meta around the table power structure where do the players end up in terms of how strong their character are what the stats should look like mm. uh is this a really gritty realistic thing where they basically are the same people at the end of it they've changed emotionally they've had experience yes um this is really applies to like fantasy settings where people gain magic and a whole bunch of magical swords and things like that I think it's important to understand, and I usually say that uh, to a player up front, like, okay, we're going to start at level 1, this only goes up to level 10. Uh -huh. So there's an idea of, like, it's going to end, but you're not, like, you know, supreme beings of the universe. Sure. So what Nathaniel's getting at here is part of the decision you should make about where they're going to end, mechanically speaking, yes. is going to be dictated by the system you're playing in That's and right. the kind of story you're trying to tell. 
if it's really combat focused then you need to think about those statistics you need to think about the numbers and making sure that your characters are going to be at the number they need to be at right. having the numbers they're going to need in order mm -hmm. to be effective in the combat situations you plan to put them in that's right if the final boss is uh supposed to be like a guy with a pistol then they're going to be in a different need to be at a different power structure than if the final boss is you know an eldritch being from another dimension that's right and right. you should probably be tailoring the kinds of encounters and the places that you're going to go accordingly yes. if it really is going to be a real world reality scenario where the human beings are human beings right they never stop being fragile uh, sacks of mostly water yes then you should have a very different scale in mind than if they go from being, you know, fragile sacks of water to being almighty gods. Yes, absolutely. And this is really, uh, this is a really important one to establish up front, and that goes back to question one and also what system you use. In some systems where it's more fluid, uh, knowing where their stats are going to be isn't necessarily as important. That's right. That's right. But if there's, if you are using a system with a clearly defined level, I think it's helpful to decide. Okay, campaign's going to end around level fifteen. Okay, camp, we're going to go all the way to the top, baby. Uh -huh. And again, it also depends on are you being focused on combat yes. or are you focused on. Actually, I should rephrase that and say it matters whether you're focused on character challenges yes. or if you're focused on player challenges. Yes. Right, and there are some systems that make this distinction, and then there are some systems that really ignore the category of player challenges. So we're going to have a full podcast about this too, a full episode. But the uh, quick and dirty here is that character challenges rely upon the statistics of the character that's being played. Yes. So whenever a challenge comes up that can be resolved by a die roll in some way, whether that's combat or it's detecting traps or something along those lines, that is a character challenge. Whenever a challenge comes up that needs to be resolved by the person playing them, right, it's a puzzle and they have to think it through. They can't just use a die or, you know, some sort of lucky statistic that they have in order to resolve it. That's a player challenge. They have to talk the way through it. They have to think the way through it. Whatever it is, it relies upon the player's native skills and wit. Right, that's going to be completely different. If you have a campaign that's mostly focused on character challenges, then those stats need to go up to wherever it is you need them to be. Uh, if it's focused on player challenges, then the stats don't really matter, do they? Yeah. Right? Your players are going to gain the knowledge and skills they need through playing the game, and presumably you're going to be helping them along with that. An example of this is that mm. uh, in one storytelling world I had created, I often faced the characters with mathematically bounded puzzles. I often, oh, yeah. used, I often used binary or hexadecimal number systems to try and throw them off and give them uh, a player challenge. Right? There was no stat they could use. There was no dice roll they could use in order to solve the challenge. I often allowed them to roll dice in order to get a hint. Yeah. But in the end, it relied upon them and their intelligence and their ability to learn from previous puzzles and apply that knowledge to future puzzles. Mm -hmm. right? Just the way we learn in real life. So if you have a story that's going to focus mostly on, yeah, the player is going to be responsible for talking or solving their way through, then you don't have to worry about bringing your characters to a certain level or stat blocks uh, mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to be fighting monsters, then they probably need to have the right numbers to do so. That's right. And player challenges is going to be very, very dependent on who's with you in, around the table. Uh, you definitely do not want to throw a player challenge out there if the players aren't up to it, frankly. No, no if they get frustrated yes. very easily or quickly, then you don't want that sort of thing. If they're begging you, can I just roll a die for this? Then you need to rethink it. Yeah, chances are that it's not the appropriate thing. And and that's not something you want to throw out right away once you know them better. If you already know them, if they're like great friends and you know them, oh, they're really good at such and such, they know lots of history, I'm going to throw out a challenge where they have to remember dates and names and stuff mm, like that. Mm -hmm then fantastic, okay, then you can go all Indiana Jones with them. That very first puzzle was very simple. Yes. And in the future, of course, the puzzles built upon knowledge that was yes. uh, discovered in previous puzzles, yes. right? So part of the puzzle became, do you remember the lesson you learned the last time we played? Yes. 
Yes, exactly. A, a very classic sort of like Legend of Zelda thing. The first block puzzle, you push the block and it falls onto the switch. That's the right. The second block puzzle, the block's upstairs and you have to get it downstairs first to get on the switch you or got whatever. It. You got it. Exactly. Yeah. So you build on previous knowledge and that's just how good puzzle structure should work. Yeah. So going back over these questions, I thought originally, uh, you know, I would go through each of the questions and at the, to sort of summarize them and talk about good ideas to do. But mm -hmm. every idea is a, potentially a good idea. Yes. So I think it'd be more constructive to go back through the questions and talk about bad things, things to mm. avoid uh, answering the questions with. Mm. Bad answers. Okay, so let's hit each of the questions then yeah. and come up with some bad answers. These are just Chris and I's opinion on the bad answers, of course, but... We are right. So back to question one, which was, what is the setting? Where is this taking place? What is some, some bad things? All right, some bad examples are something that you've seen done to death before. Yes. Right? If you are at all familiar with RPGs and tabletop mm. role-playing, then you've probably seen the Tolkien-esque setting so many times that you might just be a little bit sick of it, and your yes. players might be too. Yes. If it's not something that's exciting enough for you as the storyteller to want to explore it more, mm -hmm. then it's not the right setting. You can subvert expectations, though, as well. As long as you, as the DMGM, know that you're subverting the expectations. That's right. If you're taking a tokenesque setting and you're going to turn it on its head, then great, go for it. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind that that's been done an awful lot too, so you're going to have to work pretty hard to be unique in that area. Yeah. My biggest uh, uh, do not do in this particular question is don't try to go for something that you don't have a lot of experience narratively. And this, sometimes in people's quest to find something outside the box, mm -hmm. they find a box they don't understand. Yes, yes. And uh, I think just, we keep taking talking about Tolkien, but you know, like the Lord of the Rings is one of the definitive sort of epic fantasies, if not the definitive epic fantasy. Sure, it's certainly one of the founders of the genre. If you want to run an epic fantasy campaign, you should really have read the Lord of the Rings. Mm. And I'm not, read the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Watching the movies does not count. Does not count. They are entertaining in and of themselves, but to understand the structure of the stories is to read the books. Mm -hmm. Especially since the appendices at the end of the third one have a lot about the languages and the cultures, which is important for structure. And That's building. right. If you're trying to figure out, so how do I build a world, looking at how somebody else did it is very helpful. Yes. Uh, so, um, in, in the same way, if you really want to run a, you know, gothic horror campaign, and you've never ever read or watched or done anything with gothic horror before, mm. how are you going to have any sort of base to go off of? That's right. And really, this is such a simple principle, it's kind of silly that we have to talk about it, yeah. but so many people get themselves yes. into this uh, conundrum, yes. where they're like, well, I want to tell this kind of story, and then they're not really sure how to do it, and they fumble about, and they tell it rather badly as a result, mm -hmm. because they end up making mistakes that other people have made long, long in the past, yes. and have learned from, and have already refined on and avoided. Yes. So your best bet is if you really want to tell a story in a setting that you're unfamiliar with, then watch other things that people have made in that kind of setting. Read other books in That's that right. kind of setting. That's right. Immerse yourself in it yeah. until you feel so comfortable with it that you could tell a story. Yeah. Now, sometimes some people might be saying, well, this kind of kills the excitement for me, though, because now it's not new and interesting anymore. But you have to remember that that's where you come in. Yes. It's not about the setting being novel to you. It's about the story you're telling in that setting being novel. Right. Let's hit point number two. Mm -hmm. Question number two. Uh, so question number two was, who are the characters? And so I would say a, a bad thing to say here is something so, I'm going to say like something so vague mm. that you can't answer it. Like, oh, the people, the characters are people mm. or whatever. <laughs> now, really, if you've, if, you've, if you've answered question one well enough, then there should be a certain range of people that, uh, exist. Mm -hmm. uh, the the characters are adventurers. That's a really lame one. That's a pretty lame. Uh, yep. Really, really bad one. It, how many actual professional adventurers are there? Zilch. <laughs> you, you ought to, yeah, you ought to. <laughs> nicely put. You ought to think about the world that you're trying to create, the setting that you're uh, that you're crafting, and think. 
So how would adventurers as a complete category of people actually fit into this world? Yeah. Don't lame and half-ass it and just say, okay, but these characters, my characters that are going to exist in this story are the adventurers. There's nobody else. Mm. There's just these guys here. Mm. Because then you have to try and invent reasons for why people are going to understand what it is they're up to. Because otherwise they just look like a bunch of um, murdering monsters. Yes. Like they ought to. If you're taking a standard D&D &D adventure party through a world that has no familiarity with that kind yeah. of structure, those kinds of people, yes. they should look like super-powered monsters. Yes, exactly. They're, they're grave robbers. No, 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 we're adventurers. What the hell is that? You just went into a tomb and like took all the treasure. You're definitely grave robbers. Grave robbing is illegal in this country, by the way. You're under arrest. Now, that could actually lead to the seed of a really interesting story if you examine what it is a D&D &D party often does and look at it from the viewpoint of, so what would a sane world do with that? Yeah. Uh, but that's probably not the story you're trying to tell. No. But if it is, more power to you. Yeah. I, just, I just think, like, uh, not giving them a job or a previous career they had is dangerous. You should try and ground your setting. Yes. So I'm going to take the, the counterpoint and offer the example. Yeah. So here's a bad example where you haven't grounded your characters in anything. Yeah. And you say that uh, they are fully grown adults who yes. have always been doing the thing that they are going to be doing during the game. Yes. Right. So you have to look around and the characters will ask themselves as your players will eventually come to this point if they don't start off there it's like so where did i come from what is my history did i spring fully formed from the head of zeus or what <laughs> they need to have a grounding because otherwise mm -hmm. they aren't characters yes they're just a bunch of stats yes exactly and they've always been doing that that works maybe if the players are familiar with what it is they're supposed to be doing but it's well, still not a great place to start uh, because eventually your characters uh, will want to have some sense of, so what's my place in the world? Some of that's on them, of course. We talked about earlier letting them answer certain questions about their background. But if they come back to you with an answer like, so I'm an adventurer, yeah. then that's where you send them back to the drawing board and you yes. say, that's not a good enough answer. Yeah. What were you as a kid? Yeah. Like, what'd you always dream about being? Yeah. Answer me these questions and then start thinking about it. Real questions, right? Like, like I wanted to be a firefighter when I was a little boy. Like, that, everyone has something, oh, I wanted to be an astronaut or whatever. Just the buzzword adventurer. If, if, if adventurer has appeared on your page for this answer, scrub it and try over. You got it. Yeah. Question number three was, why are the characters together? Mm. So, a good counterexample yes. for why are the characters together uh, we already talked a little bit about it, like, oh, uh, well, you're all in a tavern together, all accepting the same contracts, yes. because reasons. You can't hear it, but that was the sound of my eyes rolling back into my skull and hitting my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's just a bad, bad answer to that question. Yeah. Another bad answer to that question is saying, oh, there's no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Nathaniel is laughing because how can you possibly come up with this? But he can think of yeah. times when this has basically happened, yeah. when uh, we've been part of other games yes. where that has really been. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, you were all in the same city. Yeah. But when we, were at, when we asked the DM, so why are we all together? Yeah. He honestly had no answer. Yes. And that's not a good place to be. Yeah. Another... Uh, counterexample here is to come up with a reason that doesn't fit your setting mm -hmm. or doesn't fit the characters as they've been established yeah. so if your players have brought to you it's like oh well my my character is a deeply moral person mm -hmm. he studied in the priesthood mm -hmm. and the most important thing to him is his faith yeah. And then you say, so you're all gangsters, and you all work for the same mob boss. Yeah. Yeah. Then your moral character is going to have a hard time. That's why you answer question two before you answer question three. Yeah, so like Nathaniel said, your moral character is going to have a really tough time with that. That's not compatible with the things that you've already established. Especially if you decided on a fantasy RPG setting, and now you're all mob characters. But... Hey, exactly. <laughs> you're all mob characters, okay. <laughs> I mean, How like, else is Batman going to show up? Uh, right, exactly. But if it doesn't work with your answers to question one and two, mm -hmm. 
then you have to throw it away and start again. Yeah. I find, well, we, we're supposed to be giving bad examples, but I, I just want to throw this out there. I find a, a nice sort of median answer is the characters are like working acquaintances. Mm. So if they're in some kind of organization, they're aware of each other, but maybe yes. they haven't worked together personally. Yes. Uh, oh well, he worked in the. He works on the floor above me. Sure. Right? If, to use like an office analogy. Sure. So you'd say to them, you know, yeah, you've seen each other in the elevator or on the stairs or whatever. You saw each other at the company Christmas party. Yeah. But I mean, it's just like acquaintance. You know his name. Yeah. That's it. There. Now you've explained why the characters are together, why they would be in the same place doing the same thing, but you can still have that growth from ground zero of the characters don't really know each other. Yes, exactly. Without someone stopping, because if I'm at your gaming table, I'm going to stop and be like, why am I here? <laughs> why Why are we together? Why, why am I here? Because you work here. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Okay, let's move on. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so question number four. Where does the story begin? Uh, the reason I brought up in media res earlier was because uh, one dangerous answer here is to start off too high level or too high and not level like in terms of character level but in terms of like energy level mm, mm -hmm. um, generally speaking yeah. when you're looking at well-formed media it tries to build towards a climax mm -hmm. if you start your story at the climax of the story yeah. then there's nowhere to go but down yeah exactly if you <laughs> if you back yourself and if the most exciting thing in your campaign happens in session one you've made a mistake right uh you i i know and i know you have this crazy cool idea and you want to just get the idea out there but the idea will get out there <laughs> what you need to make sure is that there's a structure there. The roller you don't get on a roller coaster at a amusement park and the like the moment you sit down it drops you. That's right. It creates the sense yeah. of anticipation. The thrill of the drop is in the anticipation of the rise. The roller coaster clunks towards the sun and then you go over the hill. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got to do this with your own story. Yes. This is a huge stumbling block for novices no matter what kind of story they're crafting. Yes. And it applies to storytelling at a tabletop RPG as well. Mm -hmm. You have to build towards your climax, and that means even if you start a media res with a really big action scene, yes. it can't be the big action scene that you saw in your head when you said, ah, I need to tell this story. Yes. You've got to build towards that one. You'll have to come up with something else, something smaller to start your story at and build up to that. Yes, absolutely. Um, unless you're doing the rewind time thing, which we already mentioned is also kind of a bad idea. If you're doing it and this is your very first time, I wish you Godspeed. And then uh, question five was, where does the story end? I think, I think like that. I don't know if there's like a bad tip here. I think the counter counter example is like make sure you actually have an ending. the The worst thing is not to have an ending, mm -hmm. like we already said. Mm -hmm. You must have some sort of ending. It might change the moment you start playing your first session. You decide, oh no, that's not the ending I want anymore. Halfway through, it might change, but please have an ending in mind. Have something that they have they do at the end. One counterexample that I can think of. Do not leave it blank. <laughs> yes, obviously. The uh, another counterexample that I can think of is where you have an where you have an ending that's a non sequitur, mm. and that's what you have in mind. You're thinking that wow, I'm going to blow their minds. This is going to be such a big twist. Boom! There it goes. <sighs> That might work if your endpoint is happening in the same session, yeah. right? If you're doing a one-off, yeah. a non-sequitur ending can actually be really powerful or interesting or at least, you know, entertaining. Yes. But if you're doing that as the end of your 20-session, 30-session, 50-session campaign, all you're going to do is piss a bunch of people off. Yeah. You're going to be like, what? And then they're going to take, take a stare around the table. They're all going to look at each other. Then they're going to go, what? Yeah. And that'll be the end of that. Yeah. That's, if that's the reaction you're going for, maybe maybe try try again. Try again. <laughs> but for like a one-off, maybe even a, like a three-session thing or something, especially if it's comedic. Non-sequitur endings are nice when it's comedic. Yeah, and it's perfectly fine if it's going to be limited in scope. So a yeah. one-off or a really short campaign of a couple of sessions can have a non-sequitur ending and everyone just, you know, goes, ha, 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 that's, that's weird. And they walk away happy because they know they're coming back for something new next time. Can we come up with an example of that in case people are like, What's, what does he mean by non-sequitur ending? Uh, who's played Earthworm Jim? Hands up. Uh, 
I can't see them, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to assume that all of your hands are up, and if they aren't, you'd better get on that. Yes, get on it. Like, what, like right now. Like, play the game in the background while you're listening. So at the end of Earthworm Jim 2... Yeah. Earthworm Jim... Spoilers. Earthworm Jim Rescues... It's, the game is, what, 30 years old? Ah. Yeah. All right. Earthworm Jim Rescues the Princess. Mm. Princess, uh, what's her name? That's right. And... Uh, Psychro is there as well for whatever reason. Well, he defeats Psychro in the That's last right. level. He races against him. That's right. right. Uh, Psychro yeah. unzips himself, and it turns out there's a cow inside. Yes. And then the princess unzips herself, and she's a cow too. Yeah. And then Earthworm Jim unzips himself, and he's also a cow. They're all ca- they were cows the entire time. Cow surprise, yeah. and the player is left going, "What the fuck did I just see?" Yeah. But it's okay because it's from Jim and like. Right, it was it like, was a five hour, ten hour game. The fun was in the playing. It's yeah, not really about the story. Yeah, and it, it was it was weird to begin with. There's a level where you play as a blind cave salamander traveling through a small intestine. Like you're not really playing like deep grounded fiction here. <laughs> they, they've primed the pump for the weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> right, and so that's fine. Yeah. But if the end of your campaign. Your storytelling around the table, and you know you've been doing this for twenty sessions, and you're build, building up to the big reveal, and everyone unzips themselves, Batman, and turns out Batman unzips himself, and he's a cow. And it turns out that everyone was a cow the whole time. No one is going to laugh. Hmm. Right. No one is going to be happy. Writing about this down. Batman was a cow <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Got it. So Chris, want to play a session? <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, of course, of course, uh, you can accept our challenge and make a really compelling campaign now with all of our terrible examples, and make it really good. And uh, make uh, a podcast about it. We'll love to listen. Yeah, absolutely. As a summary, the five questions you need to ask yourself are: Yes, uh, what is my setting? Who are the characters? Why are the characters together? Where does my story begin? And where does my story end? And of course, what is your favorite color? I, I'm blue. I mean green. Ah! And that's all for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned something fun to take back to the gaming table. Your hosts are Nathaniel Kiefer and Christopher Kiefer. All the songs used in this podcast were composed by Lee Rosevier. Come visit our site at enough.games. That's E-N-O-U-G-H dot G-A-M-E-S to see the full list of all of our podcasts and find ways you can engage with us and fellow RPG fans about the best ways to play God.